Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Okay, well, it is really great to be here this morning, and sorry you have a second Yorkshire accent. Um, I can't help where I'm from, but I can help where I'm going. And um, can I just say, this is the first and only church I have ever been in where the pastor forgot to take the offering. You are blessed with a great pastor who clearly is not finance orientated, um, but God bless you. Thanks for your invitation. It's great to be here. Um, just before I get into the word of God, we do have some freebies for you. Downstairs is a table with some resources. Can I say the books are not freebies? Uh, but anything else on there is. We have a card with our details and photo on. Please help yourself to one. Take it home. And all we would ask is, if you've got a fridge magnet, stick it to your fridge. Or if you've got a Bible, possibly, um, use it as a bookmark. Or wherever you want to put it, so that every time you open the fridge, or go for your coffee, or your brandy cupboard, whatever you're into in this church, um, that, that was a joke, um, possibly. Um, you can see the card and just pray for us and pray that God will help us. And also, our bedroom has about 5,000 pens with our website on. It is my um, target by Christmas to get my bedroom back. So please take a free pen as well. And uh, is that okay? Good. Um, my wife said I'm a great preacher, and now she's left the room. Um, our daughter needed crash, I think. So, um, good. Are you ready for God's word? Good. And so uh, we're going to be in Matthew's gospel, Matthew's gospel, and chapter twenty-eight, right at the end of Matthew's gospel. However, it's disappeared out of my Bible. Maybe the devil's stolen it, or. Maybe I just, ah, found it. There we go. Matthew 28. And while you are finding that, let me just by way of um, introduction talk for a few moments about one of the heroes of my faith. Anybody here ever heard of someone called William Carey? One or two. Okay. So William, oh, ouch, sorry for those of you with hearing aids. Um, William Carey lived in the 1700s. He was from Northampton, a good Christian young man, never went to university or had any formal education. He worked in the shoemaking industry when there was one in Northampton. And although he never went to further education, he loved to read. While he was making shoes, he would read books, he would read newspapers, uh, articles, and he had a particular interest in, I suppose, world travel. We're talking 250, 300 years ago, and it was an exciting age of opportunity when whole new areas of the world were being discovered. Up until that time, Europe and parts of the Middle East, parts of North Africa, were about 
that, that was it. That was the known world. And so if you went past Portugal and sailed on the water, at some point you would drop off the end of the world. And they discovered North America, the Caribbean. South America. They discovered the southern parts of Africa. They sailed round. They discovered this thing called Southeast Asia and Australasia. They even discovered the kangaroos and the koalas of Australia. We'll forgive them for that. And even uh, Polynesia, as it was called, which, of course, today we know as New Zealand. And... William Carey was fascinated by the stories that were coming back of what they were discovering in these parts of the world that no one knew even existed. But what really caught his attention was not the strange animals and the plants that no one had ever heard of before. What fascinated him was the variety of people groups around the globe. That when they arrived in the Americas, there were already people living there. When they arrived in Australia or New Zealand, there were indigenous people groups who were already there. And William Carey became fascinated by these people. And he began to ask some questions. That if there were people who had migrated there in antiquity, then surely just like us, these people were created in the image of God. And that if they were created in God's image, they were loved by God as much as those back at home were loved. And he began to realize that if they are our cousins, then They descend from Adam and Eve like the rest of us and that they have a sin problem just like we have. And that when God looked around the globe, he did not just see Europe and the known world. He saw the whole globe and God loved the people that they were discovering as much as he loved the people in our own land. And he began to think, if that's the case, then when Christ died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, he did not just die for British, European, North African, and Middle Eastern people. He died for people from every, does the globe have a corner? Every corner of the world, people from every background, every tribe, every people group, and that Christ died for the people in the furthest parts of the world. Then he began to ask this question. If Christ died for them, do they know that Christ died for them? And the verses from Romans came to him. How can they be saved unless they believe? And how can they believe unless they hear? And how can they hear unless someone preaches to them? And how can someone preach the message to them unless they are sent? Beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. 
It occurred to him that even in his day, some 250 years ago, there were millions and millions and millions of precious souls on the globe who had never once heard the name of Christ, who had never been told the story of a God who loves people so much that he sent his only son to die on the cross for them. And his heart was moved that generations of people were passing into eternity without once in their lifetime having been given an opportunity to hear the good news of Jesus. And so he approached the authorities. Um, This is not partisan. He happened to be a Baptist. Um, He he couldn't help it, I suppose. But um, he approached the authorities and he said, I believe we need to do something to take the gospel to the world. And the response that came back was simply this. Young man, shut up. And sit down. If God wants to save the heathen, he'll do it without your help or mine. That so shocked and stirred William Carey that he decided that he himself would go. He raised money. He formed a missionary organization. It still exists today. He boarded a ship in Southampton. And he sailed to India to find people who had never heard of Christ. And he gave his life and his family's life for the work of preaching the good news of Jesus to people who had never, ever heard it before in their lives. It does occur to me that maybe 250 years have passed. And we find ourselves in the same situation, I believe, that William Carey found himself in. We live in a nation where you cannot avoid a church. Even in this beautiful city of Cambridge, you are spoilt for choice. I mean, come to this one by all means. But as has already been Mention you could go to Sainsbury's. Actually, the church isn't in Sainsbury's, is it? But there's one there. There's one at the end of the street. There's what there are churches everywhere. You can tune into radio. You can turn on the television. You can hear the gospel. And I know that our nation desperately, in my opinion, anyway, needs a move of the Holy Spirit. And uh, whenever I read the words about Lot. And where he lived, it says his spirit was grieved within him when he saw the culture in which he was living. And I feel very much like that about our own land and our own nation. And it is my prayer, my heart's cry, that in my day, in my generation, in our time, that God would visit us again. Because we have millions of people in this nation who are lost and without hope and without God in the world. We need a move of God here. But there is a vast harvest field around the world that yet are to hear the gospel. I think some of us believe that the world is evangelized and we're now just waiting for Jesus to come back. I want to tell you this morning, statistically, 42% of the 7 billion people 
on the planet, 42% are living in areas of the world where they have never heard the gospel. That is over a third of the world's population that remain totally unevangelized. I am not saying they have heard the message of Christ and rejected it. I am saying they have never once been presented with a viable presentation of the good news of Jesus. And if the need was great in William Carey's day, the need is even greater today because of population explosion. There are more people alive on the earth today than William Carey could ever have imagined. And there are more lost people alive today than there were in William Carey's day. And we need William Carey's today. We need people with a heart and a passion to see beyond the boundaries of our own little parish and our own small area. And we need to lift our eyes and see what God saw when he poured out his love. He saw the world And we need to see the world as well. That's just by way of introduction. I better turn to the Bible, else it'll be lunchtime and uh, we'll be through. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 16. The final words of uh, Matthew's gospel. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him... They worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Anybody want to say amen to that? Let me tell you who runs the world. Jesus. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. Whether he's popular in Great Britain today or not is beside the point. He is the one who has been given already the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Whatever the climate we are living in, Jesus is Lord. He is far above everything. He's far above all principalities, all powers, anything that can be named. He's above all things. He is highly exalted. And when you all meet together on Tuesday to pray, as you will, because apparently you promised with a big smile to do so, and you pray even about this local house and this local city, You are seeking the face of one who is all-powerful, highly exalted, the one who has all authority. So let me encourage you when you watch the news, and I know that we have to watch it several times an hour, um, just in case Sky are telling us something different from BBC or CNN or, can I say Al Jazeera, Um, or whatever it is that you watch, Do not be discouraged and do not be downhearted and do not believe the perspective that may come across. Our world is not in the hands of crazed madmen or women. Our world 
is in the hands of a sovereign God and his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he has a plan. Anyway, what verse am I in? Anyone know? Verse 19. So all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Everybody say baptizing. Here's just a thought that occurs to me. I am a visitor. I don't know hardly any of you. But let me encourage you, if you have just found faith in Christ recently, you need to be baptized. That is the first step once you've given your life to Jesus. That is the first step in following him and uh, being a Christian. And I want to encourage you as a visitor. It's okay, I'll go after we finish church today and you'll not see me again perhaps for a while. Um, So um, just take it from me. You need to be baptized. And I know water can be scary, but it's okay. I'm sure here, like in every other church, they don't keep you under the water. You're only under there for nanoseconds. You'll come back up again. And But you need to follow the words of Jesus. So um, if you are sat in this service this morning, and you haven't been baptized, and you're just hoping that I wind this bit up and carry on... Uh, Tough look. I'm going to say it one more time. This is for you. It is a rhema word from the Lord for you. It is God the Holy Spirit speaking to you through me. You need to be baptized. And at the earliest opportunity, come talk to the leaders and get baptized. Amen? Good. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Just a few things about the Great Commission. These are the final words of Jesus recorded in Matthew's Gospel. Christ had died. Three days later, he was risen from the dead. He appeared to many of his disciples, as many as 500 people, on one occasion who witnessed the resurrection of Christ. Sometimes people want to suggest that our Christian faith is based on fables or stories. And yet the presentation in the Gospels is that our Christian faith is founded on factual events that happened historically. And there were more than 500 individuals who gave personal testimony to the fact that they had met with a living Jesus after the crucifixion. That Christ had died, but now he was alive again. And these are the most significant words Jesus said because they were his final instructions to his disciples. That you are to go and make disciples of all nations. Somebody said that the Great Commission is not a suggestion to be considered. It is a command to be obeyed. This is not just a trendy idea. These are the very words of the risen Christ himself. And what is the Great Commission? Make disciples of all nations. The church is not here to simply gather together on a Sunday and sing and have a good time. Although, 
let me, as a slight diversion, just say how blessed I have been this morning with the worship. And I know we gave a round of applause to the musicians and the worship leaders this morning. But as someone who travels, I hope you don't mind me saying this, but as someone who travels around lots of churches, you have something here that many churches are missing. Let me explain what I mean. When I was stood here singing, I could hear the singing coming from behind me, all the way from the back coming forward. That is quite unusual in our day. Many churches that we go to, the band are fantastic. The first three rows are hyperactive with their arms flung everywhere, jumping up and down, having a great time. And it gets less and less enthusiastic to about halfway. Then after that, it's just spectators stood there chewing their chuddy. Do you have chuddy here? Their gum. Oh, yes, I'm in Cambridge gum. And uh, that's how it is. And yet this morning, there was a sense of spirit of worship in the whole congregation. I want to encourage you, guard that and foster it and encourage it because worship is not just what comes from the front. It can never just be that. It's got to be the people of God worshiping. Anyway, moving back to the great uh, commission. It is discipleship. We are called to evangelism. I would encourage you, if you have not signed up for this course on evangelism, you would be so helped and blessed and encouraged if you did so. If only when I was a new Christian in my teenage years, if I'd have been on a course that helped me to share my faith, I would have benefited from that no end. That is what the Great Commission is, to share the gospel of Christ who died upon the cross for our sins. I don't know what you think of when you think of mission work. Maybe you think of hospitals or orphanages or digging wells or some kind of other work like that. And that is all good, valid mission work. But at its core, mission is about evangelism and preaching the good news of Jesus. It's about the cross. It's about the blood of Jesus that has power to forgive sins. It's about Christ dying in our place. And even today in this service, you may be here and you are part of the church and you come to the church services, but you've never given your life to Christ. You know that everybody else here has something that you do not have. And that missing thing is the salvation that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And it's not about being good. It's not about certainly being religious. It's not about attending church, reading your Bible, praying, doing religious things. It is about faith in Christ who died for you upon the cross. And as we draw to a close, not just yet, sorry to tell you, but in a few minutes, I want to give an opportunity that if you are here this morning and you've never put your faith, your trust in Christ, you can do that this morning. The world needs to hear the message of the gospel. And whether we go ourselves, whether we send our money, whether we pray, the world needs to hear the gospel message. And the world is coming to our doors. We, where we live, 
recently, a new takeaway has opened in the shops opposite. And God is so good. <clears throat> the, the more takeaways, the better. And just Rachel was in there recently and um, on my behalf. And, <clears throat> and she said to the young guy behind the counter, where are you from? And he said, I'm from Afghanistan. Only been in the UK less than a year. What an opportunity to share on British soil what could not be shared in the area that he is from. Even on our doorstep, mission has come to us. There are people who, they have not rejected Christ. They have never even heard about him. They are not our enemies. They are our mission field. They are the people we are called to serve and to love. And so the Great Commission is to evangelize and to disciple. It's not enough just to come to Christ. We need to grow in our Christian faith. We need to learn what it is to follow Jesus. I want to encourage you, if you've been coming to this church a while and you've got saved and you've begun to follow Christ Don't just settle where you are. You need to grow. You need to develop. God has plans for you. God has plans for me. He has plans to bless us and to prosper us and to give us a hope and a future. He wants to make every single one of us not religious people. He wants to make us like Jesus. Cambridge needs churches full of people who are like Jesus. And that is what the Great Commission is. Where is the Great Commission to? Go and make disciples of all nations. Just as we were at passport control this week, on Wednesday we came back into Heathrow. Very affirming experience as you queue in the cattle pens to be stared at by a passport control border official. Um, But I was reminded that as a child, I did not have a passport. In fact, I was an adult before I had a passport. And I did not own a passport because I felt I did not need one. When you live in Britain, who needs a passport? God had called me to ministry. I believed that. And I believed that God would use me in the kingdom of God. And Britain needs the Lord. And so that's it. That's why God put a bit of water all the way around us. And uh, the water's there for a reason. To keep everybody out and to keep us in. This was my, sorry to say, thinking. Until I read the Bible. And discovered that. Not only is God not British, even Jesus is not British. He's a Middle Easterner. And he doesn't drink tea and digestive biscuits. And God's interest is not just Britain. It is the world. It is people from every nation of the world. People from every tribe, every ethnic group, every language group, every people group God's passion is for the world. 
And many generations of Christians for 2,000 years have found themselves confined to their locality. When John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, wanted to preach the gospel beyond the boundaries of his own parish, he was contained, he was criticized, and he said, but the world is my parish. And he found himself fighting against a church that had become parochial in its thinking. Nothing has changed today. All of us, if we are honest, can become parochial in our thinking. We become small in our thinking. And every single one of us, without exception, needs stretching. And the only way you can be stretched is to be forcefully kicked out of that comfort zone. When you come home and the bailiffs have taken your settee with the bit that flips out underneath and you've no longer got your lovely cozy comforts, life gets a little bit hard. That is how we grow. And as our thinking, our mind, our vision is stretched beyond our immediate locality and we realize that the gospel is for the nations, that is when we become stretched. That is when we begin an adventure. That is when God really begins to get a hold of us and things begin to happen. I want to encourage all of us this morning, lift up your eyes, lift up your heads and see a world beyond whatever boundary it is that you've allowed to be put around your life. And realize we have a big God who loves a big world. We have a big mission before us. And God wants to use every single one of us. When does the Great Commission apply? Because you could say, well, Jesus was talking to his disciples. So the Great Commission was to them. But at the end of the passage we read, Jesus said a curious thing. I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Why did he say to the very end of the age? Because the end of the age is linked to the fulfillment of the Great Commission. The Great Commission applies to every generation of believers until Christ returns. And while ever there are areas of our globe that have not heard the gospel, the Great Commission applies. While ever there are people, groups who have never heard of Jesus, the Great Commission applies. You say, well, what people groups have never heard of Jesus? Don't they watch telly? I don't know if you recall last summer when certain things were going on in Iraq and there were a people group called the Yazidi people. You remember those. They were on our news night after night. They fled to the mountains where it was so hot, they had no water, and they were dying. And so various countries sent helicopters in. And our news was taken up for a number of weeks by images of these precious families clinging to ropes underneath these helicopters as they were rescued from that mountain top. Those Yazidi people have existed way, way back before the New Testament days. They are an ancient people. They live in 
the northern part of what is now Iraq. They certainly existed in the times of Jesus. They existed even in the time of the Babylonian exile. They're an ancient people group. And they have certainly been around during 2,000 years of church history. But last summer, when they were on our news, guess how many Christian believers there were among the Yazidi people? I'll give you the answer. Zero. None. Jesus gave the Great Commission 2,000 years ago. And northern Iraq is not that many miles away from the Galilean mountain where Jesus gave the Great Commission. And yet, after 2,000 years of Christian church enterprise, there was a people group without a single Christian believer. That cannot be right. When the book of Revelation tells us that around the throne will be people of every tongue, every tribe, every color, every ethnic group, every language group. We thank God that even in the camps, there are now Yazidi churches on the borders with Jordan. Christian believers who through the work of missionaries have come to faith in Christ. Let me tell you this, there are over 6,000 people groups in the world today just like the Yazidis, without a single Christian believer. So, who is the Great Commission given to? It's given to the whole church. Few. That means the church can do it. Um, when I was leading local church congregations, people used to say things to me like, what is the church doing about it? As if the church was this thing somewhere that had authority. The church is not that. The church is us. The church is people. The church is not an organization. It is not a registered charity, although it is, of course, both those things. It is a group of ordinary, some would say peculiar, people we are the church. And the Great Commission is our responsibility. Corporately, but also individually. I never in my wildest imagination dreamed that I would ever stand in a church pulpit and talk like this. Because I was so myopic, so small-minded, so insular, so parochial. And God had to do a very difficult, unpleasant, but necessary work in my own heart. To wake me up to the great commission that was given to the whole church. That we are to evangelize and disciple the world. And all of us need to wake up to this. Now, it's one thing to preach and talk about the Great Commission. But the world is waiting. The people of the nations are waiting. Even in this locality, perhaps especially in this locality, the nations of the world are waiting. And so as I draw to a close, I want to do two things. One is I want to come back to what I was saying earlier regarding 
our faith in Christ. And then after that, I want to just draw it all to a close and challenge us to do something practical about the Great Commission. Let me first of all just give an opportunity for anybody here who you've not yet put your faith, your trust in Christ. It's okay talking about preaching the gospel across the world. What about you here in this church service this morning? Let me ask you a question. If you were to die and stand before God, as you will, and he were to ask you, as he might, why should I let you into heaven? What would be your answer? What would you say to God? You might say, well, I went to the king's church. Surely that's enough. I attended church regularly. I prayed. I read my Bible. My parents were Christians. My grandparents were Christians. I met the Pope once. There's only one answer that will get any of us into heaven. And it's not what we have or have not done. It's what somebody else has already done for us. And unless you can say from the very core of your being, Christ died for me, then don't be offended, but I want to say you're not quite there yet. You need to put your faith, your trust, your life into the hands of Jesus. 2,000 years ago, he died on the cross for you. And it was enough to forgive you of all your sins. It was enough to open the gates of heaven to you. It was enough to put you on the very same level as Jesus himself. What about the world? What about you and the world? I was in a situation in a local church that I was pastoring where we had a visitor who came and preached something similar to what I've just preached this morning. And I felt there was somebody in the service particularly who had the call of God on their lives for mission and they needed to respond openly to what had just been preached. And so I got up and stood there and I gave an appeal and I did what many pastors do. We're not going to prolong this. We're not going to draw it out. And we did. It went on and on and on. Because I was absolutely convinced there was somebody there. Nobody moved. Nobody responded. I said, you get out of your seat. Come to the front. Nobody did. And I'm thinking, and I just knew. I knew there was somebody there. And the poor people sat there while I went on and on. Come on. Who are you? Where are you? All this business. And in the end, I had to accept defeat. Nobody responded. And so we sang a song and the preacher came straight up to me afterwards. He said, why didn't you respond straight away? You could have saved the rest of us having to sit there. Because it's you, isn't it? And as I was giving the appeal, I was giving it to myself. Because God had called me. I said, I can't do anything for missions. I'm a pastor. I've got a local church. We've got a building. We've got this. We've got that. He said, never mind all that. It's the hand of God upon your life that matters. Thank you for listening. And we trust that the word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www 
www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.